Okay, time for us to look to God's Word. Grab your Bibles, if you would. We're continuing on in our study of the Gospel of John. Uh, we're actually going to be in the same chapter we were in last week, the 12th chapter, just near the end of that. Now, most of the chapters that we've been doing as we've gone through John, we've tried to, I've tried to limit it to kind of one theme for that chapter, but there's just too much good stuff in the 12th chapter, and that's probably not quite right. Um, there's too much good teaching about some bad stuff near the end, because we're going to be talking about darkness today and light. Um, and so if you grab your Bibles, uh, begin to flip over to John 12, grab your um, Bible app if that's what you're using, and as you get you situated there, beginning with verse 35, I would just mention that as we kind of wrap up the 12th chapter, we're also wrapping up... Um, what we know about Jesus' public ministry. Now, not his earthly ministry. He's still got some time to go. But in terms of his public ministry, I want to begin with the 13th chapter. Jesus kind of moves into that last week of life. His focus is primarily on the disciples and, and some specific things he wants to mention to them. Uh, so as we look at this last public uh, kind of teaching he has, at least in my mind, uh, grant some significance to that. I think when we know that, that the end's coming up, uh, we tend to want to make sure that those things that are important are things that we share. And so I, I tend to think that maybe these are things that Jesus felt were especially important for his people. So beginning with verse 35 of that 12th chapter of John, let's see what uh, is revealed to us today. Then Jesus told them, uh, the disciples, the followers, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. For whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you still have the light, so that you may become children of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And then jumping now to verse 46. For I have come into the world as the light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Uh, we see as this passage is uh, demonstrated for us and as we'll discover is repeated over and over again in Scripture, um, that God has come into the world to combat, to offset, to dispel the darkness that surrounds us. And so as we think about this idea of light, um, we can just ask ourselves the question, what is light? And we actually know quite a bit about light. We know, for example, that light is made up of energy that comes in the form of electromagnetic radiation, that it's really classified by different wavelengths. Some of those are visible to our eyes, some of those are not visible to us. Um, we know that natural light tends to travel in straight lines, but it can be refracted, it can be bent um, to go in different directions. And we even know the speed of light, 186,000 miles an hour. Now, just to give you some perspective on how fast that is, if you were to, uh, to get in a plane and travel at 186,000 miles an hour, you could circle the Earth seven and a half times in one second. That is pretty fast. So we have a, a sort of an understanding about uh, light and as it pertains to the visible side of things. We, we see the sun, we enjoy its warmth and so forth, but, but there's a whole nether aspect to light that we sometimes miss just because it's not visible to us, and that's the invisible sides of, uh, of light. So, for example, there's things called gamma rays and ultraviolet rays. There's x-rays, radio, infrared waves, microwaves. And then there's radar. Wouldn't it be nice if we could see radar beams, especially when we're traveling the highways, when the policemen and highway patrolmen have got their cars off to the side? Um, 
We know that light can fulfill a lot of functions. It can cook food for us. It can cook our skin if we're not careful and we're out sunbathing. We know that it, it can take pictures inside our body. It can kill bacteria and viruses. It can treat skin disorders. It can help us, uh, for some here in Oregon, with a seasonal affect disorder, SAD. It can do all kinds of different things. And it's for that reason that, that we get excited, we rejoice in that wonderful revelation that we read about in the very first chapter of the Bible, in the first chapter of Genesis, the third verse, where God said this, Let there be light. And because it's God that said it, there was light. He's the one that brought that into our existence. And as we look at this idea of light, we see that, that light not only um, is representative of those different things that we've talked about, but, but also is a direct connection to God. We see that light is descriptive of who Jesus is and what he's done. Going back to that 46th verse that we just looked at a second ago, Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And I think as he's saying these words, we see that there's really a literal and then a spiritual dimension to this. We see there's a literal application. The Bible says that the very essence of God is light. Um, we know that because it's almost verbatim what the words are. In 1 John 1.5, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. For those of you that are, are physics majors or you remember back from high school and college, Albert Einstein came up with something called the, the theory of special relativity and it tells us that nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. In fact, we can never actually achieve that. But if we could achieve that speed, one of the other things it tells us is that time really would cease to exist. If we could travel at the speed of light, there, there really would be no more time. And because God is light, that's kind of being he is. He's, he's outside the boundaries of time because he's light. He's, he's really outside that, that time-space continuum, as the, as the Star Trek people would say. Um, he's outside the box, which we as Christians have known for a long, long time. In First Timothy, the 6th chapter, the 16th verse, it's described in this way. Speaking of God, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. That's God. He's, he, he's the essence of light. He's beyond uh, our understanding because of that. And yet, because he is God, he took that, that core essence of, of who he was and changed it for a season. He took that light and, and turned it into something that was visible and tangible and audible. And he did that when Jesus was born. He became light wrapped in flesh, which came down to dwell among us for a time. So we see that there's this actually this, this um, literal application of the idea of light, but there's also a spiritual aspect to that as well, a spiritual application. And we're given some additional insights in that if we go back in the Gospel of John to the very first chapter in verses 1 through 9, where we read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, speaking here, of course, about Jesus Christ. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. For in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man from God whose name was John, speaking here about John the Baptist. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. The true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. John's not here talking about uh, physical light when he's, when he's saying that there's this need for additional light. We've got lots of light, uh, well, except for those of us in Washington and Oregon. But for the rest of the world, they've got plenty of light. They don't need more light. God's done a great job in that. He's provided the sun. He gives us the star in the evenings. He gives us the, the moon to reflect the sun's light. He's not talking about a need for more um, natural, physical light. He's talking about this spiritual aspect of things. And he does this by making a distinct, um, he uses a distinct illustration of comparing uh, light versus darkness, darkness and light. Light often is used in terms of referring to that which is uh, pure and good and holy. Darkness uh, is reference to that which is bad and evil and wrong. Now these are just symbolic representations, but I, I think they convey a very powerful message to us. And we see in Jesus that he's the, the perfect symbol and embodiment of what light is. In John, the 8th chapter, the 12th verse, it says this, that when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. For us to, to fully understand this, I think it, it's important for us to go back to the seventh chapter of John, which is a, a good rule anyway. It's always good to see the context that Scripture has given to us. And in that seventh chapter, we see that Jesus has been in, in Jerusalem and has been um, working around this, this event called the Feast of Tabernacles, an annual celebration uh, that the Jews would acknowledge. It focused on their, their journey through uh, the wilderness. For those 40 years, remember Moses led them uh, for 40 years in the wilderness, and this was a way of, of giving thanks to God for all that he did then, a part of which was giving thanks for the way that he provided direction. If you recall, there was the pillar of fire at night, there was the, the cloud that protected them and led them by day. And one of the ways that they affirmed that, one of the ways that they symbolically were reminded of that so that they could thank God, would be that in the temple they would go and they would light four menorahs. These are these seven um, branched candelabras that were there, one for each of the decades that they had traveled. And these, these candles, this, these menorahs would serve as a way of reminding them how God had provided direction for them, how God had given a leading to them, how God had provided even illumination for them in the midst of the night. As Jesus here is saying that I am the light of the world, uh, to the Jews that were hearing that, they would have made that direct connection between uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and what Jesus was saying. And they would have understood very clearly that, um, that God was conveying that, that that direction, that illumination was continuing. And Jesus is saying here that that direction and illumination was coming through him, through the light of who Jesus was which moves us into the second point of what we're looking at today, and it's this, that Jesus still illuminates dark hearts today. Jesus still illuminates dark hearts today. If we uh, give uh, acknowledgement to it, all of us would have to, uh, to confess the reality that all of us started in darkness, each and every one of us. That's the one thing that we share in common. We, we all were in that dark, dark place before we entered into a relationship with Jesus, the light that allowed us to be reconciled to God. In 1 Peter 2, 9, it's described in this way. 
but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Who's Peter talking about here? Well, he's talking about you. And he's talking about me. We are that chosen people that God allowed to move out of darkness through the wonderful light of Christ. And in that, we, we're reminded of, the, of this, this, this dichotomy that exists, of really this battle that's constantly there between darkness and light that, that's been there really from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. And, and it's captured in so many of the stories that we read and hear about throughout the ages, but we've especially seen it depicted here in recent years by Hollywood and some of the big um, sort of fantasy science fiction shows, uh, things like Star Wars or the DC Universe or the Marvel Universe. In those, there's always this, this, um, this contrast, this battle between good and evil, between light and dark. And part of what is so important for us to understand, folks, is even though we, we know what we see on the screen is make-believe, it's fiction, that the battle, the battle is real. And that the opponent exists in the form of the evil one, Satan. That these things uh, really are a part of our lives. Now, not as depicted on the screen. There's not a Luke or a Darth Vader. There's not a Batman and a Joker or a Spider-Man and the Green Goblin. But there is a light and a dark. There is a good and a bad, a evil and God. So we need to be mindful of that, sensitive to that. Because it's only as we acknowledge that that we can then grasp hold of what Jesus offers us. Jesus, this one who stepped out uh, of, of heaven into our world in order to save and rescue us from the darkness that is so pervasive. And as we think about this, this, this darkness that's out there, we, we see it really reflected in three different ways, in part just in the dark world of which we live, of which we're a part. In John 3, uh, 19 uh, through 21, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We don't have to look very far in our world today to see the darkness that's out there. Uh, We can look across the world, but we can also look uh, across uh, the street Oftentimes, it just it surrounds us, so many demonstrations of that. We, we hear and we read of things like war and of murder, of, of sex trafficking, of cheating, of stealing, uh, of lying, and, and of the most pervasive, I think, of, of all of these things, and that is the, the insidious, um, this insidious tactic of the evil one, where there's this inversion of God's truths and Satan's lies. In today's world, it just seems like we've, we've kind of flipped those things around. Now, that hasn't caught God off guard. He, he knew this was coming. We look to Scripture and we read in the book of Isaiah, the fifth chapter, of an event that was predicted 700 years before Jesus. And listen to what it is that Isaiah had to say. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those folks. And that is uh, probably been descriptive of the world throughout history, but it certainly is descriptive of the world in which we live today. 
Woe to those who believe that they have the ability, the right to decide what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is immoral. We don't have that ability. God alone does. He makes that decision. Also in John, the third chapter, verses 17 and then coming back to 19. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then back to that 19th verse. For this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And folks, I hear this and my heart breaks and it aches and it trembles, not for myself, but I think about my daughters and, and future grandkids and, and great-grandkids. Folks, I know as I read Scripture that God is not a God who's going to stand by indefinitely while we mock His name, while we blatantly, sometimes even gleefully, pervert His truths and His teachings, and while we embrace sin and reject righteousness. A day of reckoning is coming, and I fear that day is closer than we can possibly imagine. But the good news is, it doesn't have to be that way. Things can change. If we go to the the 21st verse, continue on in this same third chapter of John, it says this, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Coming into the light, that's, that's the key, that's the important piece in all of this, that we come into the light. Uh, my guess is that at some point, everybody watching this has at some time gone to the movies. Um, may have been a while since you've been to the movies, but I'll bet at some point in your life, you walked into a movie theater and you sat down, maybe grabbed some popcorn or, and a Coke or a Pepsi, and then you watched the movie that was in front of you. See, it lasted a couple hours or so. Hopefully it was a good one, but, but even if it wasn't, as you walked out of the theater, especially if it was on a bright uh, summer afternoon, what do you do when you walk out the doors of the theater? Well, if you're like me, you sort of do this, because uh, the glare of the sun is just overwhelming, isn't it? Now, what's interesting is that the sun is no brighter than it was when you went into the theater. But what's happened is we've become accustomed to the darkness. And folks, I think that's too descriptive of what's happened in our world today. Inside and outside the church, we've become too accustomed, too comfortable with the darkness, and we have to change that. We have to make sure that it's not the darkness that we, we, we find peace and resting in, but rather that we're, we're drawn to that light, that, gets, that thing that gives us warmth, that thing that, that provides illumination for us. Why is it that we live in this, this element of darkness? Well, in part because the, the world around us is dark, but also because we, uh, we see that, that within us we have dark hearts ourselves apart from Christ. Dark hearts that reflect the attitudes and thoughts that are displeasing to God. Things like unforgiveness and envy, uh, lust, hatred, prejudice, intolerance, judgmentalism. And isn't it fascinating how quick we are to recognize those things in other people? But how slow we are to acknowledge or even see those things within our own hearts, in our own lives. 
In 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, for he will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. Not just other people's hearts, but our hearts as well. For at that time, each will receive their praise from God. And think back to that, that movie analogy that I, I mentioned just a, a moment ago. When we first come into the sun after having sat in the darkness, it is a little bit painful, isn't it? Uh, because of that contrast that, that's there, we, we put our, our hands up. But as we become accustomed to the light, don't we enjoy the light? Don't we enjoy the warmth? Don't we enjoy the illumination that it gives to us? And it's only as we come into the light that we can see those things that had been hidden in the darkness. Those things like greed and envy and tolerance, self-centeredness. And it's only because we see them that we can then take the step to confront them. And confront them how? Well, in a variety of ways, but one of the big ones Scripture talks about is, is by confessing those things. Confessing the sin that's there in our lives. We confess, uh, first and foremost, to God. In 1 John 1, 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it's not just to God that we're to confess. We're also to confess to one another. Now, if we've wronged someone, uh, we need to confess to them as a part of repentance. But, but there's also those that we just need to confess um, because of the, the, um, the, the, the yuck that's there within our hearts. And so we read in James, the fifth chapter, the 16th verse, where it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I'm, I'm not saying we need to confess to everyone. I'm, I'm not going to invite you to come on a Sunday morning and, and, and share every sin you've ever done from the pulpit. I'm not talking about that. But, but I am saying that we all need that person in our lives that we can just be completely candid with, completely transparent, completely honest with. Who we know is, is still going to love us despite what we say. That we, that we know that, that without a doubt they're there to support and encourage us. And why do we do that? Well, for the reason I just mentioned. Because we need someone who's going to encourage us. That's going to help us move out of the darkness into the light in these areas. But we also need their prayers. Did you hear the last part of what was read there in, in James? We need the prayers of a righteous person who is powerful and effective. We need those prayers to overcome that darkness uh, that maybe has crept into our lives, even as Christ followers. And so as we think about this, as we wrap up uh, this, this 12th chapter, I, I hope that you'll leave with this understanding that there is a battle that's taking place. It's a battle between light and between darkness. And in order to, to combat this battle, God put in place an incredible plan back before the beginning of time. At first, he revealed a light for us that would, would help us to understand what was going on. And again, we see this prophetically told to us in the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, the second verse. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And in those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It wasn't talking about then so much as it's talking about when Jesus would come. Isaiah knew what was to come and that, that that light would be revealed most powerfully in the person of Jesus. But then there's a second thing that's happened that's just, um, almost unfathomable to me, and that is that, that not only does God provide the light for us, but he allows us to become a reflection of that light. 
In the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, the, the 14th and 16th verses, it says, you are, speaking here to the believers, you are the light of the world. Jesus saying this, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your goods and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we're not the light. But just as the, the moon is the, the reflection of the sun and provides illumination there sometimes in those, those dark evenings, we can be that reflection as well. We can reflect the light of Jesus Christ in the world that is around us. And so we see that, that God not only provides that opportunity uh, for us, but he also has an expectation that goes along with that, that we will be that reflection. You see, God doesn't want us to be that, that city hidden on a hill. He doesn't want to be this light that's not uh, seen by anyone else because that has no value, does it? It's only as we allow that, that light to be seen that it gains significance, that, it, that it's used in the way that God would desire. And so my, my hope for you, my hope for me, and I hope for us, is that as we move out into whatever God has in store this week, that we'll be reminded that, that we know the light, but that we can be a reflection of the light as well. That we'll look for those opportunities that God provides, that we might be used by Him to be the light in a world, a dark world, that so desperately needs Him today, tomorrow, and in the years ahead. Amen.